Hello and welcome to the Toast Podcast with me, Laura Barton. For this series, I'm meeting six different women, artists, musicians, writers, all of whom are taking me to a place that they hold special and which inspires their creativity. Alexandra Palace looks down over parkland, plane trees and horse chestnuts and onto the rooftops of North London. Here, on a bright October afternoon, I'm joining the saxophonist and composer Yolanda Brown. Yolanda has twice won the MOBO Best Jazz Award, collaborated with the likes of Jules Holland and Lamar, and is a co-presenter on BBC Radio 4's Loose Ends. Today, she's going to discuss how this place, high above the city, offers respite and creative inspiration. So we are at... uh the, the haven of London, I like to call it. Uh, this is Alexandra Palace. We're right on the top here. Amazing views out across London, just watching the busy world go by. And yet it's just so tranquil here. You've got the breeze and the trees. We are in a car park at the moment, but we'll get through to, <laughs> to some more uh, relaxing places. And it's just a lovely place, close enough to the centre of London where you, just, you can relax and just listen to nature. So did you grow up near here? No, I grew up in East London, um, sort of Ilford, Gants Hill area, and moved up to North London eight years ago when I got married. And so this has been my new home. <laughs> but you must have been familiar with Alexandra Palace before then. Yes, more for sort of fireworks or coming up for ice skating, but never actually the surrounding areas, actually. You know, the sereneness of it. It was always drive up here to do an activity and then leave. <laughs> so for those who aren't familiar with London, how different is North London to an East Londoner? I think there's a bit more green space. When I say East London, I guess I'm more border of Essex. So it was a lot more sort of leafy green space um, where it wasn't sort of just in a park, say. The pace is a bit different, actually. I think we're getting closer and closer into central London where the pace picks up a little bit. You've got 24-hour convenience stores (laughs) where you can just pop out. So, yeah, it's a faster pace of living, I'd say, but um, really lovely. I love living here. But in a way that makes places like this even more vital for you, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. And sort of um, having a young family now, my daughter's four, we come down here with the time for the park as well and just space to run around um, and just feel that you're not in the city centre for a moment, you know. So we're just walking through, well, perhaps you can describe it. Or walking so we've got, walked into a bit more of a pathway now, uh, trees on either side. It's a lovely autumn, autumn day. So we've got the leaves underfoot. Just, I love sort of moments like this, especially if you're just coming out for a walk because you've got a path that we're on and then branches off in three ways and it's almost <laughs> make a decision and just go and enjoy it and it smells lovely here as well oh, doesn't it it does it's, it's a lovely time of year uh, october is for me the best time is my birthday on the 4th of october so um, but then you know when the leaves start falling and you just get that lovely autumnal smell but we've got bright clear skies um, it's, it's wonderful There's something very special, isn't there, about walking up and up and up to the top of a city? Yes, there is. I think it's the being able to look down, down, down onto, <laughs> onto the, uh, the hectic and busyness of it. And uh, it's amazing how you can be so drawn in by it, you know, especially at night. Whenever I drive through here and, you know, maybe park the car a little bit, just to just look over the city lights and you can just tell so much is happening. But yeah, it feels so peaceful here. Do you remember the first time you came here after moving to North London? Yeah, it was a little bit before because uh, my husband and I used to come on dates up here. We used to get, <laughs> get takeaways and come and sit at the top of Alexandra Palace. 
Sachs. In fact, actually, probably was one of the clinchers, actually, because uh, my husband is um, from Nigeria originally. And there's a wonderful sort of barbecue meat called suya. And um, we used to go to a, a suya place, get the sort of meat, it's all pe- it's meat with pepper on it, um, and lots of um, wonderful spices, suya spices. And then we'd just, yeah, just chat and eat suya on Alexandra Palace. Best dates ever. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's lovely. <laughs> So have you returned here often if you are thinking about your own work, about songwriting? Yes, I think for me music is, it's a narrative and you know I played the saxophone based in jazz heavily in improvisation and so for me it's a way to speak to my audience and um, speak about what we're all going through now. So yeah to be able to look out over the city and just imagine different pieces of what's going on in people's lives or how globally things that are happening in our world is affecting different people and it's nice to step out of yourself and look down and gain perspective. There's a tower block but there's also um, you know the shard, there's Canary Wharf, all different things are happening um, and what could be affecting those people. And and sonically what does this place give to you? It's, it has a very particular sound because it is a park yes. but it's also you can hear the distant hum of the city yes. at the same time as bird song. Exactly that and that's what I love actually because I, I mix genres in my music I mix jazz with reggae and soul to me it seems very natural to do <laughs> you know you know the, the reggae is there to it has a message and it's got that four to the floor really solid beats and keeps everybody moving um, jazz is my improvisation that's the freedom there's no wrong notes you can say and be who you are in that moment and then the soul is the heart you know so then when you come to a place like Alexandra Palace we I see we could be anywhere we could be in the middle of Essex right now we could be in Kent you know England's garden it's just the trees are here the flowers are here it's very very peaceful but if you're really silent you can hear the aeroplane you can hear the cars you can hear the trucks you can hear the children and that mixture is the life in London that, that's actually the world we live in for some people it's alien um, but to us that's every day Do you think that that sort of um, collision of different genres and overlapping of them is something that is born of being growing up even on the outskirts of London? I think so. You know, when you actually take a moment and think, what is a Londoner? It's every race, it's every religion, it's every culture, every fashion, every gender. It's everything, you know, and that is actually a London person. There's no sort of defined picture that you can have of a Londoner. It's more a feeling, actually than anything else and um, yeah I think it's important to to know that to observe that and to be a part of it. What's the rhythm of London to you? Hmm it's different in different places right now I can't feel that London (laughs) rhythm. (laughs) What's the rhythm of home then of of Ilford? uh, I think rhythm of home is family really and um, it's one of joy it's uplifting it's it's fast-paced but yet slow and that's what reggae is to me actually. Um, because you, you, it can get your heart beating, which to me sometimes is tempo, that's fast paced. But there's a relaxation in it. There's a, a withdrawing, uh, exhaling, if you like, within that. And so, yeah, it's, it's a funny rhythm, but it feels, it feels safe to me. <laughs> was your home filled with music? Was reggae, reggae a big part of that? Uh, yeah, all genres actually, which has been the strange journey of being a musician. You know, when you decide to be a musician and 
think what what am I going to be what is my style of music I can't pick for me my style of music is music because um, <laughs> I grew up in the house with opera we had folk we had classical of course reggae my parents are both from Jamaica and came to England when they were very young um, but then that stretches across Skia to Lovers Rock, Mento, everything was under one roof and none of my family play musical instruments but to be able to have access to that library of music I didn't realise it at the time but it was helping me just enjoy music for what it was. So tell us about the moment when you decided to to start playing a musical instrument mm. if, if you had if your parents didn't do that was it an extraordinary thing or was it an encouraged thing? Um, I think I guess it was encouraged to start with um, I started playing the piano about the age of six and I, I am a believer in music education um, not necessarily about just the grades and trying to make it another sort of hobby but it's actually an outlet too um, and so having a piano in the house and be able to just go up to it and play along with the radio or play a song or make something up was something that was quite natural in, in our family and even I have actually said in every interview my dad my parents never played musical instruments but I do now in this wonderful serene setting remember my dad on a Saturday morning sort of playing the piano very basic chords but it was still very comforting actually and maybe quite inspiring to to his daughter actually so I've never thought of that before exclusive <laughs> did you, so did you play the clarinet before the saxophone or? No. no no I found the saxophone at age 13 so I played sort of the violin the piano the drums and at age 13 I wanted to play a wind instrument I felt that you know especially with the piano and the drums I had to be at home or be at school or in a room where that instrument was and sometimes you just want to play <laughs> and you might not have uh, the access at the time and so I wanted to play the oboe initially but as it goes in schools there was no space <laughs> and um, a teacher said you know we've got a place with the saxophone I thought it would be the alto because naturally everyone at school plays the alto but uh, believe it or not I was quite tall for my age <laughs> and they said you'd be playing the tenor saxophone and I got this massive case <laughs> to take home over the Christmas holidays and I just thought what is this <laughs> this isn't the cool instrument that all the kids are toting about this is a big hunk of a case and they they, they weren't funky like now where you the strap so you can put it on your back so yep I was on the bus uh, the 179 with this massive tenor saxophone case and every day the driver would say oh got your packed lunch again have you <laughs> I was just like oh <laughs> for a 13 year old girl it's quite a, an embarrassing thing but when I picked up that instrument for the first time and you know and I put it together by myself learned how the reed works and just enjoyed making a sound and I think that was my first connection I didn't look back after that just as an aside by the way when I was a similar age I got given the euphonium in, oh, in a really equivalent and it's the same thing it's like and you're just like what of all the instruments yeah <laughs> oh you feel my pain yes oh, very much very much so So that's, you said it was the sound when you started playing it. What was it about the sound that, that had a resonance for you? I think the first time playing the saxophone, interestingly, it was the fact that I was using my breath to create the sound. So it wasn't necessarily, yes, the saxophone is a, a beautiful sort of sound in itself. It's very sensual, but there was something about using my breath to create this big sound and the tenor saxophone creates a big sound and then feeling the vibration coming back at me. Yeah, there was just such a great connection there and um, so whenever I have to prepare for a big show or things are tricky and you know the pressure is on 
to be able to play the saxophone and just get that feedback from the instrument is some, like something I've never felt before. What about your daughter? She loves music. She does. I guess uh, it's a nature and nurture argument a little bit because I taught um, until I was sort of three months to go with her in my tummy and you know having that sensation of her react to the music inside the womb was amazing. Um, there was one song on the album that every single time I played it and you know first couple of times you think it's a fluke and then when it happens every time you think well I'd play the song and she would move. She would be totally still for the whole concert let me get on with my job but this one particular song she would just always be moving in the womb. Which one is um, <laughs> it was actually Tokyo Sunset and we'd done some rearrangements of it and she, she seemed to enjoy them inside. <laughs> and then when we got back on the road after she'd been born three months in and um, my dad came on the road with us and she would have the same exact reaction. She would be fast asleep and as soon as we played that song she'd be up, alert, moving around. <laughs> so when you could feel her moving around when, when you played, were you ever tempted to follow the rhythms that she was making? You know, and this will sound very scary, and she was actually in time. It was almost like it was a, a sensory movement of either a drum or, you know, there's something that she was moving to, but it wasn't ever distracting. It wasn't away from what I was playing. It was almost part of it. And I guess she's got the rhythm of my heartbeat. I firmly believe that, you know, our heartbeats gets in sync with the music when we're playing. Um, and she was just in sync. She was an extra band member, if you like. And, Anyway, it was my little secret, but at the same time, I thought, this is very strange. <laughs> Communicating with an unborn child is a, <laughs> a very strange sensation. I think I, I kind of just let her, yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to affect nature too much. You were one of those parents <laughs> playing Mozart against your bum or anything. <laughs> well, she just had the music that she was hearing on stage, really. Um, from that sensation, I think I'm so motivated and inspired by young people you know and um, this year uh, I had my own children's program commission right with CBeebies called Yolanda's Band Jam and it just filled me with so much joy to see you know five six seven year olds coming into the audience of this show 60 of them and we're playing live music and you see some of them grip their hearts because <laughs> the music is shaking them and I think to be able to give young people access to live music the way that I saw an unborn child have access to to music in, in the way that not many would it's so important because you know seeing her grow and progress I think it definitely does inspire young people what other spaces do you do you seek out in London hmm any green spaces I think <laughs> and interestingly enough when I'm trying to sort of relax and be away from my everyday job I don't listen to music <laughs> um, yeah I'm, I'm a avid Radio 4 listener 4 extra listener I just need something that's not music sometimes and to be able to hear nature to be able to hear the leaves that's calming to me and sometimes your ears can get tired um, and so I think it's important to just get away sometimes. So would you come up here and just be walking in silence? Would you sometimes listen to some stuff you're working on or is it always just the, the wash of it? Always the wash of it, you know. Um, I'm not a kind of person that walks around with earphones in. Um, I find it quite a strange sensation. It's like you're out in this big wonderful world but you're in your own world in your head. Um, and it's very, yeah, it's very disorientating for me. <laughs> um, so I don't actually use headphones outside. Um, 
and I like to just be out in the open to be able to feel the vastness. As a musician, you spend so much time in a studio, in an enclosed space, or um, you know, in a theatre, and sometimes that can feel like an enclosed space as well. And so when you're out, be out. <laughs> Is there a particular time of year that you love to come here? Any time it's not cold. I'm not the person that loves to uh, go outdoors when it's cold. <laughs> um, so a day like this is absolutely perfect. Sometimes it can get too hot, you know. Um, but to just have clear skies, it's just very clean. It's lovely, yeah. And where do you feel this nature and this green space finding its way into, into your music? I think in terms of remembering, especially when writing and also when performing, remembering that space is as important as, as how many notes you can play or you know the the rhythm that you're trying to put in and I do find that sometimes when I, I really want the audience to feel something I put more drums or add horns and actually the beauty is when there's nothing or if it's just the saxophone by itself for a moment just playing out into into the space and so coming to a place like this I think in London, the buses are going and the people are out and there's people talking. There's always something going on. Having that space is really important to feel something. Yeah. Is there a quality to the sound that the saxophone makes that in a way has an echo with a place that what a place like this does to your soul almost? I think the saxophone does that by itself, to be honest. There is, um, when I'm here and I sometimes think, oh, there's a tune that I'd like to play. I prefer it when the saxophone is able to bounce off walls or bounce off the floor and feed back at me. So to play the saxophone in a space like this wouldn't give me as much feedback, which is, is interesting. It would get lost. <laughs> um, and so I guess this is almost the opposite of what I do in my everyday. And so it's a kind of getaway. You know, it's interesting for me. I'm a person that works very much with opposites. Mm -hmm. So if my passion and my job and my everyday is music, it's, um, you know, it's in the theatre, it's being out front and centre. It's nice to be in a place like this to do exactly the opposite. There's no music in my mind. I'm not up front and centre, being sociable and having to speak to everyone, although I do smile to passers-by. But uh, it's actually the exact opposite. You're getting lost and letting the world take over. Um, and I think it's important to have that balance. Yeah. Do you, are there moments when you've found you've lost that balance and you, you're like, I know what I need, I have to go to Alexandra Palace? Or... Oh, absolutely. And if, I, if I'm not home, which invariably I'm not, and you know, when we're touring, I would find a similar space. I always research on Google Maps, where's a place where I can get away? And it's always an outdoor space where, yeah, where the world takes over. So you come to a place like Alexandra Palace as, as a sort of respite from music and from, from noise and to find space again. But some of that must find its way into, into your music. And when it does, is that consciously or, or does it just bleed in? I guess... I consciously let it bleed in, <laughs> that's an answer. I think the minute you try to force something, you know, um, and I do find that sometimes if you're, when I'm in the studio with the producer and they're like, okay, just imagine you're in your favorite place. You know, you hear that a lot of when people say, try and relax, imagine you're in your favorite place. And I find that quite difficult because I'm not there. <laughs> and it's more than sort of just imagining the sea, the leaves, Alexandra Palace in the background, the grass, it's different. It's a feeling and a smell and imagination can't touch that. <laughs> and so I think subconsciously it's there, you know, knowing that if I'm trying to make a song that's about a, a relaxing pace of life, I might tap into my feeling here. 
but I wouldn't try to recreate it or you know add the sound of the leaves to the music or anything like that but um yeah I guess I anything that makes you feel positive will feature in in the music somehow you know it will filter in and I think the best songs or best performances are when you let it rather than try and draw it in you know just let it flow out how has traveling so much and seeing so many extraordinary places how's that fed your creativity I think it definitely feeds in terms of incorporating the cultures that I I come across um, again touring in Australia and sort of getting a feel of what it meant for the indigenous people and the land and you know all of that does feed into how I improvise and how I play through to you know going to the states and the origins of jazz and those kind of filter up and you see the jazz come forward a bit more that must have been an emotional moment it was it was I remember sort of going uh, my first time to go and play in Rochester New York upstate New York and um, there was a moment just after Sanchez I thought oh my goodness we are in America, I'm going to play jazz to the place it was originally invented and the same when I was playing in Jamaica and in the Caribbean. And then you just remember that you can only be yourself and, um, yeah, whatever you're going to play has never been heard before. When you are away, what do you miss about London? Hmm, family. <laughs> and I guess family stretches to your familiar places, anything that is, is familiar, but... Um, there are a lot of places that remind me of London, which then as a city, I don't think I miss it as much. Melbourne had hints of London in it for me. I studied in Spain for a year and I spent a lot of time in Spain. So home and, you know, some, a familiar city is, is anywhere I can find bits that are very comforting to me. But your family's never there. <laughs> what did uh, Spain do for your, for your music, do you think? How did it shape it? Um... I think it taught me that music is about communication and you know to go to live there for a year and study there for a year meant that I had to number one learn the language to a level of fluency that I could speak my emotion not just what I wanted and so music is the same thing you know it's a universal language yes but there are certain things in music that reach out to people more than others and I think having to live in a foreign land so to speak makes you more aware of that and so when I'm creating music I do want to know what people are going to take from it I want to know you know will they understand what I'm trying to say or understand my voice from listening to this piece of music um, oh I love this like, walk once around here <laughs> you've led us onto this path saying you love it and I can understand why but please tell our listeners why so we are here at um, this lovely lake in the middle of Alexandra Palace there's a wonderful place to get some ice cream and the pink <laughs> the pink flamingo is a favourite in our family where we would go uh, the pink flamingo pedlo is uh, a favourite in our family with the birds and feeding the birds and this feels very London to me in that it's, it's so serene it's such a stunning lake and then you have pink flamingos on it plastic pink flamingo pedlo just in case you forgot where you were <laughs> that humour to me seems very London it is it really is <laughs> so where are you off to next on your grand tour where are we off to next? Next we go to Spain, actually. We were just talking about Spain. The Spanish leg of my tour kicks off um, next month. Yeah, it's, it's been lovely. I guess celebrating 10 years of music makes me very reflective. And the fact of being an independent artist and garnering this wonderful audience, sort of city by city. Yeah, to be able to go through Europe, 
um, through the States, through Australia, and oh, it's been lovely. What was your very, very first live performance with the saxophone? Ooh. I think, um, sort of kudos to my parents. They, well, my mum is, is uh, based in education, she was a head teacher and then is now uh, an advisor to heads, so she's very much about giving young people the best education that you possibly can. And so then I guess that also came with confidence. It came with sort of being proud of who you are and wear your school uniform with pride, all those things. So to get up on stage, before that I would have given speeches or you know done presentations. So it felt natural during that Christmas holiday as I'd learnt to play the saxophone really. So when I started my lessons, the teacher kind of let me lead in a way and kind of thought, well, we're not going to start on page one because you've done that already. And I told her that I really wanted to just play without music what did that mean and so I remember it was um, stormy weather um, the jazz standard and just playing the head of the song and then she said right and then after that just play what you feel I think that was more the daunting prospect because everything else before that if it was a speech or a poem I'd prepared it word for word down to the full stop at the end but that was an unknown moment where I hadn't planned what I was going to play and literally was going to unload my heart in front of the school you know um, how did it feel? felt very um, almost cathartic I guess it was just being able to leave it on the stage and when you hear performers say that it literally was that this, this is it it was nice just to say what I wanted to say instead of notes that someone else had written or words that someone else had written it was, yeah it was really really great and your first gig playing your own music I played sort of uh, this is about 2005 I joined a band the band fell away and the manager said I could manage you as a solo artist. Um, at that time, I was studying a PhD in management science. I thought I was going to be a management consultant. <laughs> it's a little, bit, little bit different, yeah. Saxophone's definitely not work out. <laughs> and before I knew it, 2006, I was spending more time away from university when I should have been teaching undergraduate uh, business, <laughs> business computing. I remember writing an email to my supervisor to say, you know, John, I'm really enjoying my PhD research, but this other career has just blossomed and I'm going to have to follow it. And um, he said, you know, yes, go for it, which was wonderful to hear. And in 2007, I held my own Yolanda Brown live in concert, which would be me two hours on stage with an interval uh, with my band. And that was the first time of playing some of my own compositions. I guess it was a very similar feeling to that school performance because finally I was getting to say what I wanted to say and play the music I wanted to play and luckily the audience responded well. <laughs> what kind of things did you want to say at that point in your life? It's interesting, I think sometimes I try not to put words on the emotion. There's sometimes those little nuances of feelings that you can't describe and I love how music can do that. And So yeah, I do try not to, not to <laughs> label them. <laughs> just come out of the woods you can probably hear the car park um, and we're standing in front of Alexandra Palace it's always an extraordinary moment I think to come out and see how huge it is could you just describe it for us it is huge huge is the word you know I really love the the glass roof is such a statement um, for this building and I've always sort of come out here and wondered what are they doing with it sometimes I feel like more could be done more people should be coming here but again it has an ice rink inside it's got a theatre um, it's got a conference venue, the BBC Museum is here, there is a lot going on. Um, but you always wonder, does everybody know? <laughs> More people should be here and it's just a wonderful sight. And, you know, I live not far from here and be able to go through sort of Crouch End and you just see it up on the hill. 
it's just grand. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of architecture and great history as well. You've been listening to the Toast Podcast with me, Laura Barton. The producer is Jeff Bird, and the series was conceived by Emily Mears. You can subscribe to Toast Podcast on our website or with your preferred podcast provider to hear more episodes from this series. <laughs>